Thanks for joining us as we explore the book of James, wisdom for the everyday stuff of life. Doxa Church is a family of servant missionaries who make disciples of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. For more information, visit doxa-church.com. All right, open your Bibles to James chapter 3. If you are new with us, we've been in a series called Wisdom for the Everyday Stuff of Life. We're looking at the book of James. The beautiful thing about going through a book of the Bible, which is something we do around here, uh, is that you, you don't skip around and miss the passages that are difficult. You stay in it. And uh, this was one that's going to be speaking about our tongue and uh, the power of our words and what they can do. So just to encourage you to follow along, we're going to read 12 verses today. There really this is like a two-part series around our tongue. This week will be uh, about how do we control it and what it does, and next week will be how do we know it's actually being controlled by God in terms of the wisdom of God in it. So let's read together. Now many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. One thing James makes abundantly clear in this passage is that the tongue, though small, is very powerful. It can bless, it can curse, it can bring forth life, it can destroy life. See, what we do with our tongues is a life and death matter. What we do with our tongues is a life and death matter. As I said a few weeks ago, we desperately need help in this area, I believe, in the cultural situation we find ourselves in. We need wisdom for our words because our words will be judged. Our wor words are powerful, but our words or the word can change us. So let's start with our words will be judged. Verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Now let's be clear, there's not a human on the planet 
who has ever not sinned with their tongue other than Jesus Christ. There's only one who's ever lived who's perfectly spoken every right word in every right way with every right motive every single moment. That's Jesus. So, like the Apostle Paul stated in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which is another way of saying, in your thoughts or your motives or your actions, you have not been like God in some way. Now, what James is saying here is, all have fallen short of the glory of God with your words. Your words are clear, clear evidence of sin because if every one of us were to have someone follow us around and dictate every single thing we've ever said back to us, we would find enough to condemn us. Jesus said in his rebuke to some religious leaders in Matthew 12, 36 through 37, he said, I tell you on the day of judgment, people give account for every careless word they speak. That's sobering. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This is why James warns teachers that they will be judged with a greater strictness, that there will be, as the New American Standard Version says, they will incur greater judgment or even condemnation for their words. Now let me pause. Is James trying to discourage people from becoming teachers? I don't think so. I think he's trying to warn us. And if we, what we know of his context, there were many people who boasted with their tongues and it seems as though many were probably wanting to be teachers because it gave them a sense of power and authority driven more by pride than by love. So I think there is a warning there, but I believe that he's not only confronting the teachers, but I think he's using the illustration of teachers to confront the people. Because like Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. It's another way of saying, the more you speak, the more likely it is you've sinned with your tongues. Now you can see why James would use the illustration of a teacher because anybody who's in front of a group of people on a regular basis speaking is likely more prone to sin more often with their lips than those who don't. And I know for me it sobers me as a teacher because not only do I have to be responsible for everything I say when I'm standing on this stage or when I'm anywhere else for that matter, but I know that I'm affecting a lot of people with my words and so the, the reality of my sin can spread like a virus if I'm not careful. Sobering. I was thinking about that a lot this last week. I was speaking in Fresno, which is a good illustration of why you can believe that I'm not going to speak for vacation's sake. Nobody goes to Fresno for vacation, do they? That's why I was speaking in Fresno, and, and I was thinking about this message a lot. A lot of times when I'm getting ready to, to preach a message, I don't just have my head in the text studying. I walk away and I meditate on it and I think about it and I pray through it and I ask God to speak to my heart and, and hopefully it hits me and goes into me before it comes out of me. That's my hope, that God would change me before I expect it to leave me. And, and I, as I was praying through this, I found myself paying very close attention to the number of times a, a thought would come into my mind that wa wanted to come out of my mouth or go onto my fingertips to my text. And I, I kept hearing, where words are many, transgression is not lacking. And I thought to myself, Lord, I, I've got to shut up. 
I've got to close my mouth more often. I've got, to, I've got to stop grabbing my phone and texting or tweeting or Facebooking my ideas and thoughts because most often they probably aren't helpful for building others up, if I'm honest. So I found myself really in need, really praying, whoever restrains his lips is prudent, is wise. So here's what I'm discovering. Words are not neutral. They're not impotent. There's no such thing as a word spoken that doesn't affect something. Every word has the power to build up or tear down, to give life or to, to take life. There's no such thing as impotency with our words. Our words are powerful. They accomplish much. James goes on in verse 3, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are very large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. A bit in the mouth of a massive horse can lead that horse in whatever direction the rider pulls the reins. The rudder of a massive ship, no, no matter how strong the winds are, can redirect the ship. So he's speaking of the positive reality of our tongues being able to give direction not only to our bodies, but to bodies of people. That we with our tongues can, can lead in great ways, life-giving or even life-saving ventures. Our tongues are powerful. And yet, being such a small member, it boasts, it boasts, as he says, it boasts of great things. And I think what James is trying to get after, he's going, hey, church, you got this little teeny, teeny thing called a tongue that you boast about yourself with, and you can't even control it. It's so small, you'd think anybody control, can control it. You boast with it, and yet your own boasting condemns you because it shows you that you are being controlled by it. It's powerful. So wait a minute. Why does James say it can control every area of your life? Isn't it my body that controls my tongue? Isn't it my mind that controls my tongue? And I think what James wants us to understand, the tongue is so much a representation of power because it's connected to our very heart, which controls everything. It's the control center of our Lies. Matthew 12, 34 says, Jesus says, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. I want you to hear this. Your tongue is directly connected to your heart. Now, I know you're going, physiologically, that's not true, Jeff, but spiritually it is. Your tongue is a display of your heart just as much as your works are a display of your faith that Justin spoke on last week. That the things that come out of your life in works are evidence of whether your faith works. Now, what comes out of your mouth, James is saying, is evidence of what's going on inside your heart. And so if you can actually control it, it means you've controlled your heart. Your heart has been brought under control. And the tongue is a representation of that control that can control the whole body. If you can control your heart, you can control everything. So he's speaking about the power of the tongue represented by the heart being in control. And then when that tongue represents a heart being brought under control, that tongue can do great things. It really can. I remember the day when Janie and I were talking together about a friend who had hurt me, and I, I started to drift into what 
probably wasn't the kind of words that build up. Like Paul says to the church in Ephesus, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it might benefit those who listen. It wasn't one of those moments. And thankfully, there's another member of our household who has a very small member called a tongue. And in that moment, she had control over that tongue for my good. Haley in that moment said, you know, Dad, I don't think that that's okay to talk like that. You love it when, I think she was 12 at that time, you love it when your 12-year-old corrects you, right? The, the, the tongue, doesn't matter who, how old you are, the tongue, especially when controlled by the Holy Spirit or convicted by, by God, can bring great things even to people who are using their tongues poorly. In my case, it was me needing my daughter to use her tongue better than I was. Thank God for that. I remember... I remember a few years ago coming back from a trip, showing up at our missional community. It was the night we were sharing our stories, and it was my turn to share my story, and I was sharing my story and you know, getting to that really great part where Jesus came into my life and changed everything for me. And my wife so graciously walks up with a plate of food to bless me and say, hey, you must be hungry, and you, know, you just got back from the plane here. Can I, some food? Can I get you some food? And I just snapped at her and said, hey, I'm in the middle of telling my story. And just like you're all thinking I'm a jerk right now, so did everybody else. Like, wow, that was just mean. I remember she and I talked about that later, recognizing that was my pride that led me to speak in that way because I really believe I save people and my story saves people and my tongue saves people and instead of he saves. And it's his word that does it, not mine ultimately. And it was out of my pride that I sinned against my wife. Next day, I went out, I think it was a day or two later, I went out to breakfast with a young couple that was in our missional community that we were discipling, and, and I, I, think, I think Haley might have been with me again. Maybe that's how she learned how to do this so well. But <laughs> and uh, we were, they, they wanted to talk to me, I could tell. You know, it's interesting when younger people in the faith, especially as a pastor of a church, want to talk to you. They're, they're real timid and not sure how to do this. There's a lot of fear and intimidation, unfortunately, even though I don't want that to be the case. It's still sometimes in us. And so I, I just said, hey, do you need to talk to me about the other night? Because I, I want to be a, a person that's easy to confront. I, want, I need you to be in my life. I need you to speak truth in my life. I need you to confront me in my sin. I don't want it to be hard for you to do that. By the way, parents, do that with your kids. Make it easy for your, your kids to point out the, the sin in your life. If anybody knows it, they know it, right? They see it. Make it a safe place where they could say, hey, Daddy, you know, when you, you said that, that wasn't very kind. I want to be that kind of pastor for our church. I want to be that kind of father for my family. I want to be that kind of husband for my wife. I want to be kind of that, that kind of uh, brother to my missional community. I want to be that kind of neighbor to my community that I live in in Redmond. That's what I want to be. I want to be easy to confront because I need it. Like Jackie said, if we're going to be able to protect each other from the deceitfulness of, of sin, we got to have a community that's close enough, knows each other enough, is safe enough to speak the truth to one another, to not hold back and that we need to speak it. And we'll talk about how we do that in a minute, but I need the tongue to be useful for redirecting this broken man. I need you to be that for me. I want to be that for you. But we also have to recognize the tongue can also bring great destruction. 
Listen to what he goes on to say. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Remember a few weeks ago, I reminded you as we looked through James, that James says this religion that God loves is to keep yourself free from being stained by the world. Now he's saying your own tongue can bring stain to your life. Setting on fire the entire course of life. Set on fire by hell. Our words... Though they can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, they can also bring great destruction. They can bring about a scorching kind of fire in the soul of one another if we're not careful. Our words are powerful. They really are. It's with our, our tongues that we, we bless or curse. See, our tongues, what we do with them really is a matter of life and death. I want you to hear that. They're a matter of life and death. We can give life and we can take life with them. And to make the point again, James brings us back to the cultural mandate that Justin spoke of last week in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. I want to read verse 7 of James 3, and I want you to keep in mind Adam and Eve and the power God gave them to exercise dominion over all of creation. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. See, Adam and Eve and we also were given the ability to subdue creation, to bring it under dominion, to lead it in such a way that it would be good, it would flourish, it would, it would lead to the flourishing of our planet. And the reason why we have that kind of power is because we were created in the image of the one who spoke the universe into existence. With his very word, the world was created, and then he made us in his image. And so we ought not to, to take that lightly, that if the, the God who made us in his image can speak, and something can happen and become something that was nothing, think about the power he's given you with your words. And then, if you watch the, the narrative after God speaks and he, Adam comes into existence, the very first work that God directs Adam to do is, you remember this? He brings the animals to them, and what does Adam do? He names them. He, he gives them a sense of identity. He speaks over them their reality, what they are. By the way, moms and dads, your words are powerful over your children. You get, you get to tell them who they are. You get to raise them up in their identity and a sense of who God made them to be. It's very powerful. It's given to you by God. And it's not just parents who get to do this. We get to do this with everybody. We get to speak words of life and identity over one another. And it's interesting that the very first sin is expressed in words as the evil one comes alongside of Eve and Adam is there with her and he says, don't believe God's word. It's a lie and don't trust in his work. It's insufficient. The very first act of sin was with words. And then in giving in to the deception of the evil one, Adam and Eve both realize they're naked and they cover themselves up with their works, with their own making of fig leaves. And the very first thing that happens when God finds him in the garden, he asks him what happens, is that Adam uses his words not to bless but to blame. God, it's this woman that you gave me. In other words, curse you, God, and curse her. It's not my fault, it's their fault. 
And instead of words that bless, we get words that blame, words that take life. The evil one's words and Adam's words both lead to destruction. Relational destruction, emotional destruction, spiritual destruction, and even physical destruction. See, what we need to understand is what we do with our words is not just a horizontal matter. It's a vertical one. See, what James wants us to, to know here as we look at this is when we curse another human made in the image of God, we curse God. When we defame a person, we're defaming the one who made the person. My wife is an artist. She, I didn't ask her if I could share this. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, she's working on a piece right now for the James series. She won't let anybody see it because until it's really good, she doesn't want anybody to see the process. So I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen her work in the past and she does beautiful work. Now here's the deal. As she works on that art piece, whatever that turns out to be has a reflection on who she is. Now let me, let me clarify this. I know we've got to work hard to not let our works be our identity, that what we do isn't who we are, but it's who God is and what he's done that makes us who we are. But regardless of that, we still do work that is a reflection of what we believe or what we are passionate about or what we care about. It's an expression of our very nature. Just like God in creating us, we are image bearers of him. When we create, it's a picture of what we believe about ourselves. So if I, if I, if I see that piece and I'm like, you know, babe, I, I don't know, it's okay. She's not gonna hear that and go like, oh, it's just a piece of art. It's no big deal. It has nothing to do with me. She's gonna hear the artist is not good not just the artwork. Now, by the grace of God, the gospel sets us free from letting that be the most defining thing in our life, but I'm still telling you, it's real. So when that art piece is on the wall, you better all like it. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Love you, babe. Now, why do, I give, why do I use that as an illustration? Because when God made you and I, he didn't just, put, just make a piece of art. He made a self-portrait of himself. So when we criticize or tear down another image bearer, we're not just criticizing or tearing down the work of God. We're criticizing and tearing down the very work of God that was meant to make us see him. It was, it was his self-portrait. You and I are all image bearers of God. You might go, yeah, but we're so messed up and we're so broken. Yes, but there's still the image of God even in the most distressed or distorted or broken human on the planet. I love what what the Mother Teresa said, she said, whenever I meet someone in need, it is really Jesus in his most distressing disguise. Tell you what, you'll look at people differently if when you realize really every one of them is just meant to be a picture of Jesus to you, though broken, though distressed, though marred by sin, you'll look at people differently. She goes on to say, I believe in person to person, every person is Christ for me. And since there's only one Jesus, that person is the one person in the world at that moment. I see Christ in every person I touch. It's as simple as that. You wonder how she could give her life so selflessly with full of love and passion to others because she really believed that every time she was doing it, she was doing it for Jesus. He was in the person as it were. I'll tell you, if we could start to learn how to see Jesus in the person we're with, it would change us so much. The image of God is in front of you. In her autobiography, The Story of a Soul, St. Therese of Lasso writes this. 
about a particular nun who got under her skin. Anybody have anybody that gets under your skin? Maybe. I don't, but... She said, saying the woman irritated her no matter what she said or did. That's how much she got on her skin. No matter what she said or did, she irritated her. But this is what she says. As I did not want to give away to my natural dislike for her, I told myself that charity should not only be a matter of feeling, but should show itself in deeds. Charity should not be a matter of only feeling, but show itself in deeds. That's what James has been saying all along. So I set myself to do this for this sister just when I should have done, just what I should have done for someone that I love most dearly. She basically said, who do I love most dearly in life and I'm gonna treat this person who gets under my skin in the same way as I would the one I love most dearly. Imagine if you applied that. Who do I love the most? And how would I love them like that? Every time she met this nun, she prayed for her. She did things for her day after day, and when she thought she might say something unpleasant about her, she smiled instead. He is prudent who keeps his mouth shut with a smile, <laughs> in her words. And after all this, she asked me one day, with a beaming face, Sister Therese accounts, will you, this woman to her, will you please tell me what attracts you so much to me? You give me such a charming smile whenever we meet. <laughs> Love it. St. Therese recalls to others when explaining this, she said this, ah, it was Jesus, hidden in the depths of her soul, who attracted me. Jesus makes the bitterest things sweet. Can we, can we believe that? That Jesus can make the bitterest of things sweet? That even the person who most irritates you can become all of a sudden sweet to you because you can find in them the presence of God, the image of God, the, the possible transforming work of Jesus deep, deep, deep down inside them. Jesus stated that whatever you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto him. Now, that can be a very condemning word because you can go, man, I didn't do enough, but I don't know that it's meant to be that. I think it's meant to also be a hopeful word to say, do you realize that when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me? That ought to motivate you. That ought to give you great hope and courage that ultimately at the end of the day, you're doing this as an act of worship to Jesus. I remember when Janie and I got married and we were walking through submission, she said, just so it's clear, you're no man who deserves any submission, just to be clear, but Jesus does. So as I submit to you, it's out of respect for Christ. I'm like, hey, I can handle that because that means every day you've got a good reason. Not me, but him, Christ, in me. That's a, that's a really good reason to be able to honor the vows that you've made. Because I'm going to fail. I do fail. And so Jesus says, whatever you've done to the least, you've done it to me. And James is just basically taking that concept because he was with Jesus and saying, it's not just what you do with your life, but it's what you do with your words. He wants you and I to realize that when we say we bless God, but we curse our brothers, we're hypocrites. First John says it this way, how can you say you love God whom you have not seen when you can't even love your brother who you have seen? Your brother is an image bearer of God. If you say you love God but you hate your brother or sister, what, what kind of God are you talking about? Who, who are you in love with? It's incompatible, incompatible to say you bless God and curse his image at the same time. 
one of the values of our staff lately. So I've been, you know, when you, when you start a new church, you try to start a new culture and shape some things deep into the culture and the value system of what you're about. And one of the things that we say regularly is we don't talk about people, we talk to people. The only time we talk about people is when it's helpful for building them up in the presence of others so that people are benefiting it with graceful words as we speak. So we can't say gracious building up words and we gotta keep our mouth shut until we can go get right with our brother and sister if they've sinned against us so that just close the lips, move the feet, go talk to them, do whatever you gotta do to get right with them. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. There's times when people go, hey, I think you need to go talk to them, Jeff. And I wanna encourage us, family, could we be the kind of church that says we're not gonna talk about people behind their back, we're gonna talk to them to their face. And if we're gonna talk about them behind their back, it's only gonna be in a way that builds them up. You know what causes division amongst the church is when you have a conversation with somebody and they tear someone else down in front of you and you then walk out of the room and go, I wonder if they're doing that with me when I'm not with them, right? It leads to a lot of distrust and insecurity that you never know if people are always just talking about you behind closed doors. If we're gonna heed the word that Jackie gave us earlier that we've gotta be an open people that are vulnerable to have people speak into our lives, we gotta have the kind of safety in a church that knows we're not gonna speak Ill, ill of each other behind each other's backs. But rather we're gonna speak each, to each other's faces. Think about your words. Are they giving life? Are they taking it? Do you speak forgiveness over people or condemnation? Are you withholding forgiveness with your words? Well, Jeff, you don't know what they did. And they haven't even told me they're sorry yet. I so am glad that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing before I said I was sorry. Before I realized the depths of my sin, he spoke a forgiving word over my life. It was his kindness that led me to repentance, not his condemnation. Do your words encourage or discourage? Do they tear down or they build up? Because again, what we do with our tongues is a life and death matter. But how? How, how, do we, how do we take control of the tongue? How do we steer our bodies with the tongue? How do we avoid the, the fire that our tongue can bring about? If James says no one can tame it, how in the world are we gonna do it? And this is where we need to remember that words can change us, in particular, the word. Listen to verse 11. Does a, spring forth, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What's James saying here? This sounds strangely familiar to Jesus' words in Matthew 12, verse 33 through 35, as he's speaking to the religious leaders. He says this, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So what's the solution? How do we bring good out of our mouths? The, the solution is you and I need a heart change. You and I, if we're gonna produce good with our lips, we've gotta have good in our hearts. 
First of all, we need to receive Jesus as the ultimate word of God. See, here's the really, really good news. Jesus is the word made flesh. The same word that proceeded from the mouth of God to create the world is the word that came into flesh in Jesus and lived amongst us in such a way that every single word that Jesus ever spoke was always right, good, pleasing, and upbuilding. It was always life-giving. It was always exactly what God the Father wanted to come out of the mouth of Jesus. Christ. So first of all, you and I need to realize we need a substitute who actually speaks good, perfect, holy, life-giving words in our place. And that's not us. I know for me, I need to have someone who spoke way better words with his mouth than I do with my mouth. And the beauty is, is that the word of God made flesh for us is not just the better words for us, but he is the better word spoken over us. When he went to the cross, he died for you and I and every careless word we've ever spoken. See, Jesus is right. We will be held accountable for every careless word we've spoken. And apart from Jesus' word over the cro- at the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, you and I will stand condemned before God for our careless words. But because of his word, I can say, you know what? By my words, I stand condemned. But by his words, I stand acquitted. I stand forgiven because I receive Jesus as the word for me. And Jesus' word spoken over me at the cross is the only word that can make up for all the ways in which I've failed with my words. And it gets better because... Jesus then didn't just die for our sins and all the ways we've been careless with our words, but he has the final word over Satan's sin and death when he rises again from the dead on the third day. And Paul says he is the one who's seated above all things. He has authority over everything. And it's he, he who is over every bad word ever spoken over you. Some of you are in the room right now and all you know is the bad words that people have spoken over you. Jesus wants to trump those bad words with his word that you're loved, that you're accepted, that you're forgiven, that you can be changed, that he can take your heart and take it, if it's hard, and make it soft. If it's bitter, make it sweet. If it's broken, make it heal. He can change your heart so that comes out of your mouth words that represent healing and love, sweetness and, 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 and redemption. That's what he wants for you. Family, do you believe it? That not only did he speak a better word for you, but he has the final word. The final word. Nobody else's word gets to trump his. And what's really amazing is that the Apostle Paul then says that that word, Jesus Christ, is interceding, praying on your behalf before God the Father continually. Think about that. God is hearing Jesus speaking about you right now, and he's saying, I know that Jeff had a hard time with his lips this week. But remember I died for those lips. Remember I died for those words. Remember that I poured out my blood so he might be forgiven. Father, don't take his words as the condemning word over him. Take my words as the saving word over him. That's what Jesus is doing continually for me. Do you believe that? Because all who come to Jesus and admit My words would condemn me. I need a better word spoken over me. Thank you, Jesus, for not speaking condemnation from the cross, but salvation over me. Thank you for speaking forgiveness over me. Thank you for putting to death all that could condemn me. Satan, sin, and death doesn't get to have the final word, but you do, Jesus. And thank you that you are praying right now for me. And I'll tell you what, you know how I make it day by day and actually have better words come out of this mouth when it'd be so much easier at times to just give into my flesh? As I say, Jesus, don't let me forget the word you spoke over me. Take control of this heart. It's gonna gonna be a ruthless fire if you don't. 
but I need it to be a rudder that steers this body into right ways. I need it to be a bridle that you pull on, that you direct to speak good words. I want you to take control of my tongue. Holy Spirit, speak through me as you did and led Jesus to speak better words. I need this. Family, do you need it? I hope that we become the kind of church that's known for grace in our words, life in our words, hope, love in our words, that we won't shrink back from saying what we need to hear, but we'll do it because we love each other. Let's ask God for help. Father, as we come to you, we admit that no one can control the tongue. We agree with James. Apart from you, we can't do it. If we give ourselves into selfish desires, it, it doesn't go well. And yet you have given us, if we're in Christ, new hearts, and therefore you can give us new words. You have given us a new ability, a new power to speak life, not take it, to build up, not tear down. Lord, I pray that we would become the kind of people that are known for words that speak into the world life-giving power and hope. Forgive us for the ways our tongues have been used for destruction. And change us, we pray in your name.